Welcome to the very first episode of Queering It Up. I am your host Lele and I will be your guide on all things queerness. Queering It Up is a series about queerness, whether it be mental health, race relations, sports, politics, entertainment, you name it, we've got you. As we've recently crowned our All-Stars Drag Race 5 winner, I think that it is very appropriate that our first show be about drag culture. Whether it be performative, cultural, political, or just as a means to survive, drag culture has formed its way into the mainstream in recent years. Our guest for today's show is a dear friend and someone who's taught me a lot about drag culture and queer culture in general. Nitsebu Mazia, better known as MC. Hello friend, how you doing? Hello my darling, it's so nice to be here and congratulations on the show and thank you so much for having me. Woohoo! Thank you baby. <laughs> so for the viewers who might not know you, can you just describe and explain who you are? So, I was born in South Africa, Johannesburg. Um, and I ended up living in the States for a long time. My name is Mzebo, but my, my drag uh, persona is Africana Latte. And this name was to kind of bring in my African ancestry. And I added Latte, you know, you know, just for that cosmopolitan milky vibe as well that I bring to the blackness and um, the kind of drag aesthetic that I love. So yeah, that's me and I'm, I'm very happy to be doing the damn thing. I'm on Africana Latte. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you can just tell us how did you know you're gay? If you can just give us a small little journey about how you knew and when you figured it out. I mean, I didn't really know that I was gay. I knew that I was different. Mm. So like, I didn't really have, especially when you're really young, you don't have the kind of vocabulary or critical tools to really think about your sexual identity in that way. But I think my, I mean, bad pink feathers have always been showing. Mm, they even fly. Okay, so um, that's been happening for a long time, but I think my first kind of realization was when I was in grade 11, and I really liked this boy, and I was like, oh, I think I might be gay then. But you know, I've been everywhere as well. Because I used to dabble. Yeah, you know, even as a, you know, as a cute jock myself. <laughs> Back in the day, back in the day, because you know, you are right, I used to do rugby and I used to play all these sports and things, uh, but I also loved the theatre and I loved all of that. So I think my sexual journey was very kind of, girl, I, I don't try to watch it. <laughs> I've, been, I've been down there, I've been up there and I've just, you know, kind of, it's been a slow discovery. And I think my activism and the kind of, when I say gay, gay power, uh. I think in me started in university because that's when I was kind of armed with the, the, the theory, the politics, and the knowledge that made me feel kind of comfortable about it. Nice. And then, with that being said, how do you describe drag? Because you know, a lot of people describe it in different ways. What is drag to you? Drag to me is a performance of an art and a culture, right? Um, that can also be gender bending. So, for me, you know, when you think about drag, it's mainly, you know, gay men dressed up as exaggerated caricatures of women. Um, but it's more than that. For some people, it's it's a character. It's a character choice, you know, in theater. Um, for other people, it is like a way to, you know, be against the system. It's a form of activism for people. Um, for other people, it's, as you said in the beginning of the show, it's just a means to survive. I don't think that drag always needs to be a political thing. 
It is inherently political, but I don't think it always needs to be that. It can just be fun too. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> just have your fun right. and keep it moving. Right, right. So then how did you end up getting into drag? I got into drag um, for the first time when I was in college and um, there was this big fundraiser for um, an LGBT organization in at Whitman College. Shout out Whitman College, shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. And um, it, my friend from Venezuela, his name is Michael. Shout out to Michael. And he was the thin, lanky. He was a piece, Heidi. You know what I'm saying? He was the thin little Venezuelan piece. Oh, yes, Valentina, Heidi. <laughs> shout out. And he was like, MC, I think you'd be really good wearing this for a Sunday. And I was like, girl, I do not know. And she picked this shiny red and gold dress up. Girl, I can even show you that. <laughs> but I looked a mess. <laughs> I looked a hard mess. And she put me in those, you know, those old, like, um, those old, uh, Abandona, you know, Abumama Bonfundisi. Yeah. Wigs. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The ones that's very flammable from a distance. Ah, from a distance. Those just one light. Just one over. light and it's done. So she put me in that. But, you know, it was so cute back then because we were doing drag for the fun of it, you mm -hmm. know? And that was the first time I, that, even though I looked a mess, Heidi, we were doing, we were doing choreography, five, six, seven, eight for this organization. And then after that, I moved to New York, and then, of course, my drag became better. And then in China, it got even better. So before meeting Venezuela, yeah. did you know anything about drag? Not really. I think because, you know, growing up in Johannesburg, a lot of the drag queens that we saw were white drag queens. Mm -hmm. And so, I didn't know like any black drag queens and this is even before RuPaul's Drag Race was on. Yeah. So there was no kind of sense that, there was no black drag person to look up to. The kind of only, I mean maybe we had one or two, maybe with Sumizi. Madame Gigi. With Madame G. Yeah. Madame Gigi for me was kind of like a comedy caricature yeah. to me. It wasn't really like a well-established drag gorgeous persona, okay. you know? It, it was kind of like a joke, you know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah. That wasn't really in my imagination until I got to college. So then with time, what inspired Africana Latte? I think for me... Where do you find your inspiration from? Yeah, that's a good question. I think from different places. I think the Africa thing, I definitely get that from my mom. I remember the first, uh, one of the first gowns I wore was this like orange gown with these like big Nigerian flare-ups and this like head turban. Heidi, I was giving the girls up in New York Village. Oh, I was giving the Igbo. girls. Yeah, and it actually, and I modeled that costume after a picture I saw of my mom back in the day, and she was wearing this like orange um, Hossa situation. And um, she was in a boardroom with all of these white men, and she was in this like She was like, I'm going she was to like, I'm, wear Yeah, she's like, I'm going to wear this. And like that kind of, how I think really resonated with me. So number one is my mom, but then I think everything else, everything, the freshness that Africa has, you could walk down the street, Ikaya, and just find something else that inspires you. Um, even, you know, living in South Africa and having so many cultures there, you know, and then also being in a place I think is similar in terms of, that, of its diversity in America, where there's just so much culture all around you all the time. And then, so with gayness and doing drag, how do you deal with society now? And how did you deal with it back then? What do you mean? Like when you started out, like you wore drag, uh -huh. you walked out in the street, what was going through your head? 
We like, oh my gosh, I'm not getting stoned. <laughs> is this bitch is gonna nuke me. What yeah. is gonna happen on the streets? Yeah, I think it really. I mean, I. I mean, even right now, when I leave Dragon, I'm like, I might get stoned. <laughs> like, I just might get stoned. But I think it's worth it. You know, I've, I've, I've always kind of been that person who likes to live on the edge, no matter how bad or good that is. So, what up, I mean? And. I think that's part of the danger of drag that I love. It's yeah. very dangerous. Definitely the how I'm definitely more confident now because, you know, I'll kick a bitch. But I mean, back then too, it was just, I mean, you're always scared, right? But you know, courage is not absence of fear. It's doing it anyway. Not necessarily you, but what stigmas do you think drag queens face? I think particularly drag queens who are men. Cause you know, you can put in drag, whatever gender you are. Yeah. But particularly for the drag queens who are men, I think kind of the the, the, the conventional wisdom around yeah. that, a lot of the time was, oh, they want to be women. Yeah. Right? Which was the main thing. Uh, which is why I'm so excited that we live in these times to show that there's a big difference between trans women and drag queens. Right? Drag queen is more of like a performative role you're, you're doing on stage. Whereas, you know, transness is more about your identity. Yeah. And it's a gender identity, particularly. So I'm glad that that is kind of happening, but I mean, even in the gay community, the discrimination is there. You know, a lot of men. Well, well let me just go ahead and be real. <laughs> That's all we need is realness to a hundred hundred. Let me go ahead and be real. A lot of the men out here, especially the gay ones, when they hear that you're a drag queen, they don't want you right. Because they feel like you are so extra. They feel like you're feminine. You're doing too much, you know? And. And I, and you know, and that's patriarchy to blame for that. Yeah. Do you think that it's them not understanding that drag is just a performance at times and not necessarily who you are? So I am not a woman. I'm not trying to be trans. Right. I'm just performing in drag. Right, right, right. So it, do you absolutely. think that's okay? Absolutely. But also, the, but it's also the idea that even if they understand that these two things are separate, mm -hmm. is that you are still doing that on stage though, uh, right? And then some of the times, I mean, honey, let's be real, you know, drag queens perform in the nighttime. Yep. And um, after our shows, you'll find like all these guys, hashtag straight men, who wanna bark up your tree. And the tea of that is like, for me, I'm like, um, I'm not going home with the guy in drag. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, for me, that is super weird. Like, why would I do that? Well, you touched <laughs> on um, who can do drag. It's not just gay men. Yeah. It's trans women as well. Yeah. Because, you know, in, um, in the past, RuPaul has um, come into trouble with the words and what he had said about who is allowed on drag race and who is not. What do you think of that? And exactly can everyone do drag or is it just gay men as what people say can you just like try and let people know who exactly can yeah, do drag and yeah. who cannot i mean drag is for everyone mm. but me saying drag is for everyone doesn't mean it belongs to everyone okay, okay so Very important. exactly and so everyone is entitled to use the art of drag you know to whatever they want right um i think rupaul came under fire because i guess he didn't see drag in my mind, I think, okay, number one, let me start by saying, I do not think RuPaul is transphobic. Yeah. Absolutely not. RuPaul and Michelle Visage, who are on the show, Michelle, Michelle grew up in the ballroom community. Mm -hmm. And back then, the ballroom community was dominated by the trans girls, particularly femme queens. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the, the, when you say femme queens, you're talking about the trans girls. Okay. Um, and they were part of um, 
a lot of the drag culture that we see today and the ballroom culture so I do not think the show or RuPaul would want to exclude um, trans women, especially because there's been two trans women down there. Mm. It's been Peppermint. Sonic was also. Yeah, yeah. Who else? And the Asian girl who doesn't like Monet. <laughs> Which one is that? Uh, is, what's her name? Gia, 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 yes. Right, oh, that bitch. <laughs> but we kind of live. Um, yeah, so those other trans women who've been on the show. So. The thing is, I think RuPaul, when he said those words, he was thinking more as an entertainer. Like the transformation of drag is more shocking when it comes uh, from a man into a woman. So that makes better television yeah. because of the shock factor. Versus if Peppermint always look gorgeous and stunning. She's just There's no woman. transformation. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that's where it was coming from. But uh, yeah, drag is for everyone, girl. But also, if you're going to do drag, please know what you're doing. Uh, please know what you're talking don't about. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, in the words of RuPaul, don't fuck it up. <laughs> uh, uh, please don't uh, charge us. That's the worst RuPaul. We apologize. <laughs> we apologize, okay? RuPaul, please don't. We're, we're we love you. We love you, man. <laughs> so, in your view, what does drag mean to the young boy who doesn't know who he is or what his sexuality is? The young boy who's just God and like mm. going through life. I mean, drag is really a metaphor of you can be who you want to be. I mean, essentially, it's about being human. When RuPaul says, we're all born naked and the rest is drag, that's what it is. I mean, we're in drag right now, honey. I mean, I look like a straight man right now. I'm on trade. Trade. <laughs> I'm trade. trade realness, you know? Uh, and I think drag is supposed to teach people that we're all very similar. Mm -hmm. then, we are, then we are, you know, then we are different. We're very similar. And when you see those girls transform, and become absolutely somebody different. I mean, have you seen Bob the drag queen before she goes into drag? I mean, he looks like like yes. an uncle, yes. an uncle from Kenya. Yep. And I love Lisa <laughs> Bob, but he is a man. Right, okay. he thinks a bad. He's a big gargantuan ape. <laughs> Not an ape, bitch. Not an ape. I'm joking. I love you, Bob. <laughs> Um, and he transforms into this like beautiful, you know, Naomi Campbell, Lupita. Um, and so it's really supposed to teach you that you can really transform yourself. So don't fear it. Basically. So don't fear it. And you, you can be whoever you want to be. And that should be the inspiration behind it. Do you think drag is for everyone? Absolutely. Okay. I think everybody should try drag. I remember, I mean, I think even women should try drag. Mm -hmm. Because there's a new thing there. I remember I put my, my mom in a full face beat in February. Girl, this other girl then came out, honey. She was popping her tongue. She was giving. You know, she was just giving. I was like, this is so interesting. I was like, this is so interesting. It's so interesting what comes out. When you put drag on somebody, that person really come out. Maybe I should try. I it. think you should try it because that because there's a person in there who's going to respond. That that personality is gonna to respond to what I put you in. And it's gonna be a very different day. We will see after the show, maybe. Yeah, we'll let's out. do a beat. <laughs> let's do a beat. So, how do you think the drag space is here in China compared to New York and South Africa? You've touched on it um, at the beginning, but what do you think needs to be done more, whether in South Africa or right. China, compared to New York? Because New York right. is the big space. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Um, you know what I've been happy to see in um, in my drug experience here because of the way that America often exports stuff mm -hmm. like drag or like really anything 
it kind of becomes, it still has this American thing to it. Yeah. That everybody wants to do. Like, if it's like hip hop music that comes from America, and everybody wants, wants to it. then sound American. Whereas actually, it should probably sound like where China, you are. Where you, where you yeah, from. Exactly, yeah. it should sound from where you're from, because hip hop is democratic, right? Yeah. And in the same way, I feel like queer culture should be democratic, yeah? So what I've been happy about, I thought I was gonna come to Beijing and see girl, people trying to be all American, people trying to death drop and all that. And there is a lot of that, but there's also a very strong, um, like Chinese, Chinese cultural culture aesthetic as well. Like this girl came in looking like, honey, the first and the last emperor. Oh. Honey, she was giving, she was giving culture, she was giving fish, but it was still very Chinese, you know? And I love to see stuff like that. Um, in New York, I think it's definitely more diverse because of the different communities that are there. Um, but I think I, I think I would really hold up New York and the Chinese experience. I think for South Africa, I really wanted to see like what other communities um, are doing in terms of drag. So how about you go back team. and you know, start your own oh, thing. Go back to South Africa and become RuPaul. Yeah, South Africa. I'm become RuPaul. Honey, I might do that. Might so that they know. Yeah. And like, so that we can create space because I can only think of two people, as we said earlier, Madame Gigi mm. and then Evita Bacedano. Right. But that was just a comedic feel to right. it. It wasn't just, it wasn't necessarily drag in its full form. Right. I get it. Okay, right. cool. And I, but I also think it's like opportunity and, and access. It's because also like drag is not cheap. And like why would a black drag queen like coming from our history? Like why would you buy a dress? But don't you think it's your yiga? Yeah, I think it's also that. <laughs> it's your because it might home. get home. Because yeah. it might get back to your family. And because there's also this thing that like you can be gay but don't be doing all that. Yeah. You know, you can be gay but don't be death dropping down Santa mm. Boulevard. So there's also that piece. So then, with China not really policing us with our gayness, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but also not acknowledging gayness. Mm -hmm. How do you see them in the next five years? Girl, five years is too short. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I think the government knows what the tea is <laughs> in terms of us. But this is also this is almost the duality everywhere in the world, right? Like. They might be homophobic, but they love the gay daughter. Ah. Now that's what it's about. Uh -huh. It's not really about, oh, let's accept these like crazy deviant people. It's like, gays have a lot of money. Give me your coins. Give me that coin. Uh, and you'll see like a lot of restaurants that will put the, the, will put the flag up, will put the rainbow flag up, because they want the gay daughter. And they know they have Dubai. Exactly. We, we, we don't shy away from spending. Absolutely. And we also know how to boycott you. Yeah. So for example, there's a, like this is, during the, the kind of activist journey of uh, the American LGBT society in America, uh, different. And <laughs> it, it would take like one person to say something almost homophobic and the gays would close you down. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it was the CEO of course or something adjacent to homophobic. And the San Francisco bars were like, okay, we're, not lo we're no longer going to um, buy a course then. And it took like a month and he apologized and you know so i think the way that lgbt people especially in america have gained a lot of notoriety is by using the power of capitalism to their benefit. do you think that would work in, in beijing specifically i think it would really 
Because would it be a silent Lana. boycott or I think hell I mean, no we won't go it will never be a hell, <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah you will go <laughs> your ass is going to jail right but there are other ways to resist you know um, besides our traditional views of hell no we won't go right like you can there's lateral resistance where you, it's kind of like going to work but you don't work when you get there mm. but you're still resisting yeah. you know what I'm saying um, I th and I think China can really employ all those uh, those other tactics I think to get to where they need to get to I remember Beijing when I first started the, uh, the gay night with the balls and all that it Red Dog shout out to Red Dog uh, a lot of the businesses were really jealous of the, of the club's success because it was Thursday Friday bunch of queer people coming it's gonna be fun and the thing is if you can get the queer boys there then the straight girls wanna go mm -hmm. and, and if you get the straight boys boy. wanna go you see it's a whole business so it's a whole strategy. ripple effect exactly and the other clubs also and the other bars then started gay night too then everybody was doing LGBT night so for me it definitely it, it definitely looks like to me that uh, the, the gays could use uh, capitalism to their, benefit. To, to their benefit. Does that mean theoretically that I believe in capitalism? No. no. But, you know, this is the world. <laughs> so how has that been? Like the whole hosting and Red Dog and creating and opening spaces up mm -hmm. for people to just be in drag, perform, be themselves. Because right. it's not just being drag, it's a whole queer space exactly. where people can feel safe. Mm -hmm. So how has that been, being involved in that set up mm, I honestly like I feel so honored like and so privileged that I got to do that for so much for so many people mm. and for so many youth you know who didn't who never thought that could happen I remember saying to niggas of the place and I was like let's just try this let's just see if it works and they didn't just come they came to rest they came and drive Heidi trains trains and trains were coming down the stairs to come into the and it was like ridiculous the reception of so it kind of it needs it kind of needed that one person to open the door. Yeah. And everybody walked in. You know what I'm saying? It's probably like what people were just thinking, like, I love this, I love this, but no one actually put it into action and knew where to go to put it in action. Right. You were just probably at the right, right space at the right time, you knew the right person that would allow you exactly. to do that. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I think in the future, I think it, that position needs to be taken by a Chinese person. Do you think that's gonna happen? I feel like I feel like it's very important to me that queer people feel grounded in their culture. Because I don't want it to contribute to this idea that like gay is from the foreigners, gay is from African, you know? Mm -hmm. It comes from these Americans and these foreigners. No girl, it comes from your people too. Mm -hmm. And I want that message to be clear because that's the only way we're gonna get further then i'm going back to my previous question where do you see china i'm not gonna say five years i'm gonna say in the next couple i honestly don't see something radical happening like marriage. like i don't see marriage happening oh, no. in the next few years no that's not that's not a, that's not a thing i just don't see it but do i think people are gonna come out do i think people's people's lives can be changed yes but it's also WC the thing is <laughs> Chinese parents and the idea of faith is such a it's such a Chinese concept of network and reputation yeah. 
that it, that it could be difficult and could be dangerous to come out to the Chinese person to your family. Even they, though they come out to us because we're foreigners. Yeah. And even though your parents don't care about me, they just love me. They like love queer MC, right? But just as long as it's not under her house, under her mouth. Because MC is leaving. Exactly, MC is leaving. MC's you not. not. MC is not part of the social structure. Mm. So it's going to take a lot of, I think, you know, we can't come here as foreigners and be activists. No. But we, but which is why we're trying to empower Chinese people to be activists for themselves. Because it's, it's not going to work if we silent. But are they latching onto it though? Definitely. I mean, one of the Beijing, I'm so proud of the Beijing LGBT Center, I'm not the Green for Poor People. I'm proud of Shanghai. Shanghai this year, not last year, for one of the biggest uh, Pride. Uh, Pride. Mm -hmm. I mean, now Taiwan, and you know how Taiwanese do it. Taiwanese don't play. Yeah, they don't play. But you know, this is, for me, it's really signaling something, it's really signaling progress. Adoption, I think that's going to happen before marriage. Really? I think that might happen before marriage, especially for lesbians. How do you think adoption is going to work before? I think the idea, I think, I think policymakers are trying to frame adoption as charity to children. Uh, <laughs> as opposed okay. to, you know. Okay. Enough about that China situation. Mm -hmm. Bitch, tell us about when you hosted Blued and spoke to Mr. Tadric Hall. Girl, that was everything. Number what one. What was it? Where did it happen? Wait. How did it go? How was Tadric? I want the whole thing. I was, cause I'm, I'm part of the drag house for House of Lily here. The first drag house in China. And um, mother, Mama San, Miss Mava came up to me and was like, So I got this opportunity uh, for two drag queens to host something. I think you'd be great. How about you speak to them and then they'll tell me if they want you or not. So I, I interviewed for it. They loved me. I was like, Great. So uh, it is basically a show. There was a show to bring the Blue app, which is like Grinder, to the uh, American market. So that's what, yeah, that's what happened. Tadra Cole was on board, a bunch of um, LGBT people from across the world. Um, I was co-hosting with one of my sisters, Elizabeth Stride. Uh, what was it promoting? It was supposed to basically promote the Blue Dab and um, celebrating... Pride, because it was Pride, Pride Month. Yeah, because it was Pride Month. And celebrating Pride by ushering in this new app as well. Um, so this could also be a form of them trying to break into the, the, the space and allowing and just opening up drag culture to the people exactly exactly um especially because like i was really shocked they didn't go for like a more well-known drag queen but i was like girl what i mean what is all that what is this, I what is this? Like, what but, is, I'll what is, but i will give it but i will give it that's what i'll give yeah. it to you though. but yeah that, that was very pleasant Todrick is he's really talented and amazing and yeah he's he's the boss so yeah. who are your your drag inspirations currently? As you were saying, it was your mom yeah. back then when you started yeah. out. I and mean, obviously she would still continue yeah. because that's part of your history with starting out drag. Right. But currently, who do you look up to? Who do you like? Right. I mean, I I actually really love like a lot of the African things that I've been seeing. I think African traditional garments it's like it's full drag it's total drag <laughs> like when you look at them as girl that's drag that's yeah. drag down uh, in terms of established drag queens who else but shay kule who else 
as a fashion icon. Congratulations. Congratulations, Shay. Yes. Like, like I loved Shay from the first moment. That Sasha killed her. I know, Sasha killed her with them rose petals now. But yeah, I mean, I really appreciate what Shay, like the perspective that Shay brings uh -huh. to drag. It's very Chicago, but it also has a lot of influences. Um, BB? And references. Okay, now BB. I love Mr. <laughs> Zahara Benet! Yeah, I love, I love, the, I just love drag queens with a strong perspective, you know? Not just like, oh, hi, fashion girl, I'm super pretty. But like, what are you actually bringing? You know, what else are You're you bringing? You're bringing fashion, no? Excuse me? Does that not count? I just feel, okay. So if I have to talk about those girls. The, the Japanese like the, girls. Yeah, yeah, the high fashion girls. Yeah. Let's talk about the high fashion girls. It's like somebody like Miss Fame. Okay. Unbeatable when it comes to her face, right? Do I appreciate Miss Fame for her perspective to drag? No. Because I think a lot of the things have been done. Uh, Gigi good? Gigi good. No, I just I, there's no, I just don't think it's a strong perspective. Gigi good has really great garments. Bless her mother for making them. But I just don't, I mean, I'm not really, I don't live. You want your, be uh, your BBs. Yeah, like, I want, like if you're giving me, if you're gonna give me a drag moment, like I want you to give it to me outside of what I've seen straight women doing. Ah, uh, okay. Where and how do you see society relating to drag? And that includes um, your cis heteros and people of the LGBTQ plus community? Um, I just see drag really taking off. Do you know what I'm scared of? I might not answer your question. I'm going to answer it indirectly. Okay. <laughs> um, I think drag has done really important and fantastic work in the in, in our society right now. You know, when Laverne Cox had that tipping point cover. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that that happen. You know, we. you don't know how important shit like this is like to who we are as a queer community because you know I do think drag queens are kind of the they're the they're the naval forces of the gay uh, community, right? Um who are who are out there and they're doing it. And I think it's so important that we honor them. But what I also love about drag is you can be very famous in drag but then also be anonymous. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And drag will always have that undercut that undercurrent in it of, of of always being an underdog culture. And I love that about it because it kind of, it will never be fully mainstream. There'll be times when drag becomes mainstream and there'll be times where drag is very um, subculture as well. Like even when, I mean, when I'm in drag, people know exactly who that is. They're like, that is MC. But when I walk down the street, girl, they don't know where I am. They're just like, look at that, look at that black boy. Yeah. He's probably a teacher or whatever. <laughs> you know? And so you can be really fabulous on Friday night in front of hundreds of people. And then Saturday morning, you just go on a branch and nobody knows you. Yeah. And that's the really cool thing that I love about drag. Um, and I really hope drag uh, doesn't lose that because I'm just concerned that it might. So you wouldn't want it to go mainstream? No, because then it's lost the power. Then the power's gone. How so? I think if drag becomes mainstream, it's like, it's been assimilated uh -huh. into popular culture. And once we've assimilated into popular culture, I think the danger disappears. So you wanted just a little bit of danger? Just a little danger. I mean, drag comes from danger, you know? And that's what gives it the leverage, is the danger. So if you totally assimilate it and you, you know, Americanize it and you whitewash it, it's like last the things that make it cool. 
what's your message to the heterosexual listener whether he is he or she is accepting right. and um of of, of queerness right. or whether he she is has friends that are not accepting what is the message that you can give to them regarding drag right. and regarding queerness right. in a whole blanket i mean i want to keep this really short but like mind your business <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it basically comes down to that. It's saying to me, listen, we're not out here to hurt nobody. And we're just living our lives like they're golden. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna, you know, some of us are assimilationists in this world and some of us are not. Um, and you're gonna need to accept it at some point. Because, because we're not going to do with But you. also we're not going anywhere. Uh, and we're just not going we've been here since the beginning of time and we're not leaving we're not going anywhere so it's better for us to live together and let me tell you something i'm so proud to be in this community you know some people say oh but you know i might be gay but that's not my identity mm. you, know what I'm, you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. you know how some people say that it's like i might be gay but that's not the only thing that i am for me, it's like, but that's where a lot of my power comes from. Mm. And it took me a long time to get there. I realized that my personality and my tenacity and my hustler ways yeah. and my, my my kind of madness, it comes from that gay power, mm. right? And if I was just like a boring straight man who lived under like heterosexual norms his whole life and never explored other parts of himself, I, I would have a very boring, um, unfulfilling life. So my message to heterosexuals is, please don't come for us. <laughs> leave us alone. Yeah, like leave, leave us alone. Let's live together. We're all good, and let's you know let's keep our eye on the prize. You know, it, enough division, more unity. And I want to say to the black people specifically, because that's who I know that. I almost said people of color, but I don't know that the whole color spectrum. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying to black people, especially uh, homophobic, uh, heterosexual black people, mm -hmm. especially back home, I want to say this to you. Being gay, it's not an African. It is actually more African than ever. Homophobia is an African. Yeah. And we should stop doing that. And we should not replicate what the colonists did to us by um, dividing and conquering. We should be coming together and becoming more unified because that's how we're all going to get freedom together. Come on. Finger, <laughs> what you want to call it? Finger snap. Finger oh, snap. we have to do a finger snap with the mic. <laughs> I don't know. Mike, you better catch it. <laughs> and then, like, before that, um, that was supposed to be closing station, a uh, closing statement. Um, what do you think with entertainment? What has entertainment done to bring drag to light? Because I know we have shows like RuPaul and we had Pose. Because Pose just opened up everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. We had your Paris is Burning. But with, I know for like a lot of South Africans, they didn't necessarily know about Paris is Burning mm. until recent years. They know, they know about Pose. They know about Pose. Wow. And then through watching Pose, we had to backtrack. Mm. That I know for, for from myself is that I watched Pose and then I heard about Paris is Burning. I was like, ooh, mm. let me take it back. Mm. Which made Pose, which made me understand. Contextualize yes, right, all of it. Right. So what do you think about entertainment in that sense and what it has done? or the drag culture i am so 
I mean, when Pulse came out, honestly, when I first saw Pulse came out, I was like, oh no. <laughs> honestly, I was I was terrified. I was like, they're gonna do a cheap version of this. Mm. They're not gonna put in the, the resources. They're not gonna put in the, um, the nuances that are needed to represent the whole community in this way. But was I shocked? Go from first episode to the last one. Uh, it, I mean, I'm very proud of what entertainment is doing, and, but that's the role of entertainment, you know, or art, you know, even in general. That's the role of art, is to, is to take society to the next level. Um, Nina Simone says something that I'm going to paraphrase. She says, like, uh, musicians or artists are kind of the, like, they're the mirror to society, something mm -hmm. like that. And I do believe that, but, like, it is the point of artists. It is the point of entertainment and for art to kind of, uh, hold a mirror up in society or move society further um, in a way because obviously our governments are not doing it you see them doing it anytime soon yes because even like we can for me it's like we can praise south africa for having gay marriages mm -hmm. having all the gay laws but, but it, it's bigger gay? than policy mm -hmm. it's bigger than policy we need to enforce Policy, you're not policy. We need to enforce the policy to society. Exactly. Because yes, fine, we can get married. We can adopt. Beautiful. And there is no reason why in a country where gay people are getting married, so many lesbians have been killed. Yeah. That just does not make it sense. It makes zero sense. It just doesn't. It just does not. That makes no sense to me. That means you'd rather live in China then. Live under the live, live under a dictatorial government that doesn't acknowledge you because it's going to be better because you know where you stand exactly yeah. exactly because you know where you stand then for you to be walking on the hood with the girlfriend and then they get you later like what is it it's men <laughs> it's men and it's men who are accountable yeah. and they're, they're sorry unaccountable. unaccountable and it's men who are unaccountable because the lord doesn't hold them to their doesn't hold them to that standard in the words of the <laughs> because we, I, th I feel like we do need to treat homophobia like we treat racism. Absolutely, absolutely. Because there's no need to be like, oh, we'll talk. Because I re even remember with this whole Black Lives Matter thing, um, oh, let me what's his name? Pose, pray tell. Oh, come on, I can Yeah. Uh, Billy Porter! Billy Porter! Billy Porter! Oh, you're sorry. Sorry, Billy Porter. <laughs> Billy Porter, and he said something about, um, also to paraphrasing now, Bana, it's gonna be harder for us, Bana, see, to be stand together mm -hmm. um, when we know we have our own issues within. Exactly. Because I also do believe that oh, fighting racism, like e racism, yes, everyone should fight racism. Right. Definitely. Right. But don't just fight racism, Yod. Absolutely. Because it's bigger than that. Because So you need you, you you use us when you need us. Exactly. And then it's too gay. Yeah. When you just like, thank you. Bakasha. <laughs> and also who is that very famous um uh, gay black activist? Which one? From SA who actually put who applied a lot of pressure even to make um, LGBT rights constitutional. I forgot his name. I forgot his name. 
But let's make a comparison. When? Yeah, when? Was... To the to the now. <laughs> but also to make the comparison to um, like the the, the the head of Martin Luther King's campaign, uh-huh. or Bayard Rustin. He was actually the head of creating all of the marches oh. and organizing literally everything that created uh, rights for black people in the state. Was he queer? He was queer. And Abu Martin they told him he can't be out, but he was living out. Because everybody knew in the team who took him. So I want to be clear that you cannot erase us as gay. Also, Black Lives Matter was started by three queer people. Let's be very clear. Can you just quickly unpack that before we close? That whole Stonewall situation. Oh. Because that's education. Then. We had two. Um, Stonewall was the first riot that happened in Manhattan that was actually essentially against police brutality, mm-hmm. where the police came into um, a, a bar uh, that a lot of people of color used to drink at, you know. And this was especially after Judy Garland died. Mm. Um, and a lot of people were mourning there um, and drinking and having a good time. And the trans sister said no. So the police came in, they tried to do the normal shit. And one of the trans sisters said no. You know, threw a fit. And then it became a riot, essentially. Um, and a lot of the people who were, who were kind of in charge of that lead um, are trans black women. Um, and so it's just interesting to me, again, going back to my other points about like assimilating history or whitewashing history. Um, Marsha P. Johnson, sorry, that's yeah. Um, oh, she has even like a special on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so my my problem with kind of looking at communities, like, like the drug community, for instance, or the food community, or looking at the kind of events that have happened, usually what happens is a lot of those stories become whitewashed, or they become assimilatory historical knowledge, right? And we kind of plug out the people who are the most rebellious who started those things. Bill Drustin was a queer man who fought for all you black homophobes, <laughs> right? Um, Marsha P. Johnson was coming against, like, you know, gay people who were against her. White people were against trans black people back then. Like, she, like you go to the club every Pride, and you put your ass in the air, and you shake it, and you drink. But at the same time, you don't recognize that the person who allowed you to do that was a black trans sister. And you've said nothing about that. Yeah. Because you're living your white life like a goat. And you're acting like white people got us this. No, no, that's not what happened. And the people who have actually created the most changes are the people who have been extremely... Um, faded out into... Faded out, out like faded out and just the lowest of society. They've been like, they've been deleted, they've been blocked. They've been forgotten. Um, and then we just kind of like look at like San Francisco white gay. It's like, girl, that's not what it's about. Uh, Stonewall riots started as a as a riot against police brutality. And so, as a white gay man, you should recognize that you should be an active member of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Because it was actually a police brutality that created that. Before it was gay, it was police brutality against people of color. Bye. Queer people. Exactly. Mm, come on, education. <laughs> Better know. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I just... Bruh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we come to the end of the of the show. Like, basically, what are your ending statements? Like, close it. Right. Girl, 
I'm You've excited. closed so many times. I've closed so many but times. Final close. Final close. I love you all. Thank you so much for joining us here. Um, this was really great for me to take part in because it shows that we're amplifying our voices more and more each day. And I want y'all, I want y'all who are listening to really share all, all that we've been speaking about with your friends and with your family because that's really the only way you're gonna know. You're not Harvey Mark, uh, Senator, almost Senator from, from San Francisco. Oh yeah, that. there's a movie also there's with a Sean movie Penn. About him, right? You remember that scene where he says, come out right now mm. because we're falling in votes. I want you to come out right now to your family right now. It's kind of the same moment that we're in. Like, just speak. Just speak. Like, like your parents might be crazy, but speak to them. Because at the end of the day, they love you. They don't know me. And the, like, the more we can be visible as a community, the more we can really start to have genuine, difficult conversations. That's the only way we're gonna kind of take the the pepper out of it, you know. And I really encourage you all to bend them a bit. Bend them. And uh, you know. I'm very excited to be a millennial. I think we're making incredible strides, you know, as young people. Are you a millennial? Aren't you a generation? Whatever. No, don't try me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where can the people like get you, like on so, socials? Yeah, girl, you can find me up at Prince Classy, um, at Prince, P-R-I-N-C-E, Classy, C-L-A-S-S-Y, on Instagram. On Insta. And you can find me there on Twitter. Even though on Twitter, I'm a little bit more raunchy. Come on, OnlyFans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, or you can find me on Facebook. But you know, don't find me on Facebook. No. I probably won't say it. I probably won't confirm me. <laughs> but otherwise, that was Kebo Mazia, better known as MC, better known as Africana Latte, better known as Prince Classy, at Prince Classy on Instagram and Twitter. So join us next time. Every Tuesday, not every Tuesday, every second Tuesday on um, Outside Radio. Please do follow us. I am Lele. Follow me at Lele the Guy on Twitter and at Lele, Lele2 underscore G on Instagram. Thank you very much and see you next time.